As we said, we're on chapter 9, which is the blissful devotee and his cosmic romance. We just finished chapter 8, which was in many ways quite the opposite of what we are going to experience today uh, through the particular encounter with Jagdish Chandra Bose, how scientifically, scientifically, intellectually, impassionately, impersonally, how he was approaching both his scientific pursuits at the same time ensuring that his spiritual heritage and spiritual foundation was a part of that now we're going to go over to a saint who's dude who does quite the opposite who has a very personal relationship with the divine and especially with the divine mother so let's see how this one goes for each of us <clears throat> it starts with these words Little sir, please be seated. I am talking to my divine mother. Now, little sir here, obviously in Bengali, those of you might be aware, would be Chotto Mahashaya. So that's a, you know, a term of endearment. So otherwise it sounds too formal, little sir. But these are the words this saint, who we don't quite know who it is yet, addresses uh, our guru, young Mukunda, as he comes in. And... Mukunda enters into this room and he realizes that, you know, this saint is right now in this very moment in communion with Divine Mother. And he seizes this opportunity and he falls at the saint's feet and he starts to kind of, you know, make a lot, big racket kind of trying to draw his attention. And again, this saint says, Master Mahashaya, his name, little sir, quiet yourself. And finally, Yogananda, in tears, says, Holy Sir, thy intercession, ask Divine Mother if I find any favor in her sight. And so Yogananda is using this opportunity. He knows exactly that this is the moment. Here I've come at just the right moment while this saint is in communion and he wants to get his message across to Divine Mother. And he says, Beyond reach of doubt, I was convinced that Master Mahashaya was in intimate converse with the Universal Mother. I was, it was deep humiliation to realize that my eyes were blind to her, who even at this moment was perceptible to the faultless gaze of the saint. Now these are very beautiful words. It was deep humiliation, Yogananda says, as he was there in this moment. He could, he could experience right here, this beautiful, you know, loving saint was having this moment with Divine Mother. A very intimate moment, not one where he was enraptured and he was away from the world. But right here, a very personal moment. And Yogananda, who was present as well, was unable to really perceive the Divine Mother the way Master Mahashaya was. To his own disciples, our Guru said many years later in America, he would say to them often, if you only could see yourselves as I see you, I see you only as light. And this is the deep humiliation in a sense that each of us face. You know, what the saints see, we don't see. They see God every way, they see us as light, and we see ourselves as flesh and bone and our personalities and our ego issues. They don't see any of that. And that's an important perspective for us to keep in mind. 
they see us from God's sight. And the way God sees us is as his children, children of light, children of love. And he doesn't look at our faults. He doesn't even pay attention to all the issues we have and everything that we've done, which isn't quite right. He just sees us with that love. And um, it'll be a nice thing for us to keep reminding ourselves, lifting our own gaze. Every time you look into the mirror, every time you look into the eyes of a fellow being and say, you know, I'm going to try to see you the way God sees you. Because right here, he's there. Right here, she's here. I know because this is how the saints describe her, describe him. So just a very, very beautiful moment. And a little painful at, at the same time because it's like, why don't we see them? Why aren't we able to perceive what these saints are perceiving? I have just a little thing to add. At the very beginning, I love the attitude that a saint and the respect and how great ones protect <clears throat> their meditation practices. I mean, let's not forget that this saint, Lahiri Mahashaya, Master Mahashaya, knew that he had a message for Mukunda, and actually a very important one. He knew this little sir was going to come into his life and had something to offer him. I loved the fact that he said, please be seated, like implying, don't interrupt, don't disturb, don't interfere in my meditation practice. This is a very important moment and I just need to keep myself in that constant communion. That translates to me how careful I have to be every time I'm meditating and don't allow any thought to intrude in my mind and to be also in that way send that person send that thought send that project away and you know say these words please <laughs> stay away from my mind right now i'm in communion and i'm meditating with my divine mother with the great one so i loved uh, this you know little thing that let's not anything or anyone to interrupt our meditations yes yes <laughs> someone so, rang the bell someone <laughs> rang the bell that's usually the guy who comes to collect the garbage unfortunately mm. well here we go so Yogananda is still shamelessly, he says, I'm still gripping on to the saint's feet. He's not, he's not one to just listen and say, be seated. He's quite insistent and he grips onto the saint's feet and he says, I shamelessly, you know, make my remonstrances, remonstrances. And finally, Master Mahashaya says, I will make your plea to the beloved. So uh, you have to, you have to really <laughs> look at uh, young Mukunda's tenacity here and he's not, He's not easily dismissed when he has the opportunity to have a little bit, even a little bit deeper connection with the divine, he's going to take it. And the moment uh, Master Mahasaya says, okay, I will make your plea on, uh, you know, to the beloved, immediately he lets go of his feet, no more tears, nothing. And he says, sir, remember your pledge. I shall return soon for her message. You see, you can see that little mischievous side 
you know often there was this this sweet story of um, a mother who brings her child to anandamoyi ma and says to anandamoyi ma you know please uh, tell my child to be good and anandamoyi ma goes down to the child and says you know be good but not too good and here's this little hint of that in each of our lives it's not some it's not a meaning to try to be bad it's just that that little spark of joy of mischief of of play needs to be part of our lives otherwise we get too serious all the time i mean think about the life of young krishna as a child i mean and we we still tell those stories and otherwise if my child were doing that it would be quite a shocking thing but when we see god's play and his leela it really helps us relax more and you see young mukunda here saying okay done my job here is done you remember your pledge so i will be back and he immediately leaves the saint in peace that he may continue as narayani said to just have his moment with the divine an interesting um, side note then yogananda ji goes into here is that master mahashaya is living in this house called 50 amherst street i don't know if you remember this address before but this was where yogananda's mother passed away you remember that she was in calcutta preparing for Three his plus. elder brother ananta's wedding so this was their house yogananda's family home and during the wedding celebrations his mother falls gravely ill she passes away right here in this house and so then they move out of the house so that they are not reminded of this moment and yogananda brings this beautiful little uh, you know relationship here he says this is where i lost my earthly mother and but this is now where i have this opportunity to connect with the divine mother and master mahashaya here runs a school for boys yeah in fact let's let's just pause this briefly let's not forget that this is the first time that yogananda is encountering encountering mm-hmm. a saint that is approaching to the divine as the divine mother i mean this has been one of the greatest griefs that yogananda had been struggling with and so far we have seen that he has met you know uh, jagadish chandra bosch you know experiencing the divine you know as science in nature um, the tiger swami you know as will power and strength and all these saints that he has met have mm, manifested that divine consciousness in specific forms mostly in a masculine masculine nature in that fatherly aspect but this is the first time that i mean the moment mukunda enters to visit that saint and master mahashaya says these first words i'm talking to my divine mother i mean I, I mean imagine how Mukunda felt those words in his heart in fact he says his simple his simple words of greeting produced the most violent effect my nature had so far experienced i mean those words awoken in master's heart in yogananda's heart i mean like a big uh, grief desire to experience 
God as divine mother. So this is a very important moment in, in Yogananda's life and, and what he's about to experience. He has not experienced yet and this is something he has been longing for. Yogananda then returns back home to Garpa Road, which is just around the corner, if you've ever been all that into that area. And he says that he immediately goes to his little attic room, seeking seclusion. I remained in meditation until 10 o'clock. So I'm assuming that's a very long period. And he says, suddenly the darkness of the warm Indian night was lit with a wondrous vision. Hallowed in splendor, the Divine Mother stood before me, her face tenderly smiling. Always have I loved thee, ever shall I love thee. Saying these words, the vision disappears. Now two things here, very, very poignant for us. If I go to a saint and I say, please, you know, make a appeal on to God on my behalf. And the saint says, okay, you know, I will make your plea. Don't worry. I promise. I mean, we would just come home and we'd just be so happy that, wow, oh, now someone else is doing the job for me. So, you know, great. Now I can just do whatever I want. But young Mukunda, on the other hand, having been assured that he was going to be uh, given this opportunity that a saint would speak to Divine Mother on his behalf, yet comes back, has his own deep meditation, is not substituting the help that the saint is giving him by saying, now I don't need to put out the effort. No, I'm going to go, I'm going to meditate until 10 o'clock. I'm going to have a long meditation. In fact, that's the real power that I'm trying to draw. And in his meditation, then rather than this experience needing to come through the saint, it comes to him directly. This is the first time he's having this intimate moment with the Divine Mother. And she, all she says to him is, ever have I loved you, always have I loved you. And that's it. And then she disappears and she's gone. The next morning, very early, he says, Guru, even before the sun quite rose, you know, he go, he runs to Master Mahashaya's house and he's like just about to open the door, not quite sure. And then Master Mahashaya opens the door for him. And he, Yogananda is pretending that he doesn't want, you know, Master Mahashaya to know he had that experience. So he says, so I have come very early, I confess, for your message. Did the beloved mother say anything about me? So he's trying to get, you know, both the things. He knows he's had his own experience. Now he's hoping that the Divine Mother also gave him another message through Master Mahashaya. And Master Mahashaya, of course, only says, mischievous little sir. And uh, Yogananda is still trying to say, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, why so mysterious? Why do, do saints never speak plainly? Again, he's just having his little fun. And finally, of course, Master Mahashaya says, Could I add a single word this morning to the assurance you received last night at 10 o'clock from the beautiful mother herself? Again, no words were needed. Nothing more was needed than the experience she gave you yourself. We're always looking for outer confirmation. We're always looking for somebody else to help 
us, you know, bring clarity, bring us guidance, give us the right words, tell us how to overcome our karma. But is there anything more that they can add that Divine Mother herself is not adding in your life? And then he says, think you that your devotion did not touch the infinite mercy? The motherhood of God that you have worshipped in forms both human and divine could never fail to answer your forsaken cry. Again, you have to see the power of Yogananda's longing and then kind of try to relate it to experiences in our own life, you know, where we're not quite receiving the call and the response that we're looking for. But that's because our forsaken cries are not loud enough. We're not desperately looking and worshipping the Divine Mother in both human and divine forms. Nor making the effort. Nor making much <laughs> of an effort. But these, these, these little passages, they, they awaken in our heart and say, no, no, I must, I will, I shall. And that's really the purpose of why we're going through this moment. Anything you want to add no. before we go? No, I think it's... You want to start from here? Yeah, you, maybe you can start, I okay. will add a little. Then Master Mahashaya says to young Mukunda, because Mukunda at this moment falls at Master Mahashaya's feet, just filled with this deep sense of gratitude. And Master Mahashaya says, I am not your guru. He will come a little later. Through his guidance, your experiences of the divine in terms of love and devotion shall be translated into the terms of fathomless wisdom. Now he's leaving Yogananda a little hint here because the gurus, our gurus, Yogananda's natural tendency of approaching God was as love and in devotion. He was himself not, at least at this point, you're not seeing a very, you know, overly intellectual. However, when you read his words, you can see that wisdom behind them. But now Master Mahashaya is saying, the guru that who will come to you is one who will take your love, take your devotion that you have for God, and not just increase that, but also translate that into fathomless wisdom. Help you also understand, not just experience, but to elevate your experience into an understanding of the divine, knowing especially that Yogananda's role would be then to share that with others this little sentence here this brief one i'm not your guru um, your guru will come very soon it's really a law that all self-realized masters and true saints respect if a disciple a devotee goes to a guru and the guru knows that he is not his guru. His real job and responsibility is to guide that disciple to his true guru. Someone recently asked us, what about if I join this path and if I follow all the way through, but halfway I just find that perhaps Yogananda is not my guru or this is not my path. And this is something we, we didn't answer because we didn't have time. But a true 
guru, in this case talking about Yogananda, he will guide you to your right guru. Any self-realized master that you encounter and you follow, please trust that if you are under his guidance for some time, for some training, as Yogananda, the little Mukunda, needed to be in touch, to be guided, to be receiving certain messages that then sent him to his guru. We, we need to trust that process for each one of us that if our search, if our seeking is true, we may be under someone's guidance for a little while, but eventually we will always, always, always be guided to our true Guru. And someone had an experience of Yogananda, um, having a dream with Yogananda, and Yogananda telling this devotee, don't worry, I will send you to your own Guru. So, the gurus don't want, you know, as many disciples as they want. You know, they are not interested about that. This is, this is not a shopping where they just shop disciples and devotees. You know, th their responsibility is to send each one of us to our own guru until we found it. So trust the process that once you are following a true guru, a true path, you will you are in in good hands yogananda then goes on to describe so at this moment just as narayani said this is really the first time that young mukunda has felt that kind of a deep connection i mean he's been he's gone and seen a lot of saints and he's enjoyed their presence but this is the first time he feels this person could be my guru that deep connection has really been established for the first time that he's not felt for any other saint before and here he then goes to talk about just the the personality of master Mahasha, helping us understand and see this particular way that this saint both related to himself and related to the divine talks uh, this little uh, story here where he says one morning I came with a garland of flowers and I wanted to place them, you know, naturally upon uh, Master Mahashaya's neck. And he, he says Master Mahashaya would repeatedly shy and try to, you know, change the subject or not quite allow that thing to happen until Mukunda finally says, why aren't you going to let me do this? And then he says, well, okay, since we are both devotees of the mother, you may put this garland on this bodily temple as an offering to her who dwells within. So you can just see again how he relates to himself as so insignificant. The, the level of humility he has acquired and developed is just something that each of us should be trying to aspire towards as well. And then uh, Yogananda makes this comment here. His vast nature lacked space in which any egotistical consideration could gain foothold. That, that he'd become so vast, so infinite, 
that the ego was such a tiny reality, it practically had no energy of its own. And that's what happens. You know, when we think about the spiritual path, we tend to think about the destruction of the ego as if we're going to keep, you know, beating the ego into submission. But what really happens is that our own nature, the soul nature becomes so vast that in it, the way uh, Yogananda in his poem Samadhi puts it, I watch the little ego floating in me, where it's just a bubble in the ocean. And the bubble has its reality. It says, this is a body. I'm going to take care of it. This In this body, God dwells. But it's such a tiny consideration as compared to the vastness that you now feel is your true self. So even in your own pursuit to, for, towards ego transcendence, aim for that kind of experience. Not to beat the ego, but to open yourself to such an infinite reality that the ego just is this tiny bubble in your ocean. There is a footnote here talking about Mahashaya's title, Master Mahashaya. And Yogananda writes here in this footnote, page 77. These are respectful titles by which he was customarily addressed. But Master Mahashaya signed all his literary works, I mean, he was a man of God, just with the word M. That's all, not even his full name. Such was his perception about himself. Even the name that he used that was bestowed to him wasn't really important. Make me think so many of us sometimes and so many people who, you know, great, I mean, make great donations or build things and, you know, great, accomplish great things. I mean, we want to make sure our name is there and just printing in a stone and make sure that everyone sees it. And here we are, you know, in the presence of one who has achieved, you know, cosmic consciousness and that, you know, where the divine flows through flawless through him and, you know, just, I am M. Who is M? No one knows who is M. I mean, it's just so beautiful how, you know, they perceive themselves, not just as personalities. If you've read the book, The Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, that was written by Master Mahashaya, and you will see in that book, it just says M. And it was in fact that book. So Master Mahashaya was a disciple of Ramakrishna Paramhans. And it was through that book really that Ramakrishna's life became well known and everybody started to know more because Ramakrishna himself was uh, the priest of Dakshineshwar temple, but not everybody knew him or recognized him to be a saint, to be a great man of God. In fact, his antics were sometimes a little... <laughs> too much for people, too eccentric, because he would just go into these bhavs and then people couldn't quite relate to him. So Master Mahashaya was a disciple of Ramakrishna Paramhans. Here he says now, Yogananda, about Master Mahashaya, from him I learned the sweetness of God in the aspect of mother or divine mercy. 
the childlike saint found little appeal in the father aspect or divine justice. Stern, exacting, mathematical judgment was alien to his gentle nature. So another way for us to start looking at our own lives. Now, it doesn't mean that we all have to relate to God as the Divine Mother. Uh, some of us necessarily have a relationship with uh, the Father aspect of the Divine. But you see, when you have that motherly connection, then your own personality begins to want to express that quality, those conscious, those states of consciousness, you know, loving, kind, gentle, humble, compassionate. I mean, and in today's world, more than anything else, these are the qualities we need. We've mentioned once before, this is in fact the age of the feminine energy. And again, it doesn't mean women or men. It just means that consciousness that can flow through anyone, just as right here it's flowing through Master Mahashaya, who's a man outwardly. But he's drawing upon those feminine qualities that in today's day and age is what's going to shape our society. Long gone is the moment of stern judgment and rules and who is in charge and hierarchies. All that's going to go and you can see the world right now that seems to be in chaos, but is trying to want to go in that direction, isn't quite sure how that transformation will happen, but that's the direction it's longing for. You want to say anything? No, no. We are on page 79, in case some of you are wondering. You've got over here a little an image of Master Mahashaya. You've got also here an image of our Guru as a grown man later on in Germany. We'll get to that story much later. With a coat. <laughs> wearing a coat. Wearing a coat. You can tell it's cold in his western clothes. Mm -hmm. So then he continues, without a breath of censure or criticism, he surveyed the world with eyes long familiar with the primal purity. This is how Master Mahashaya looked upon the world. Just the purity that he felt and experienced of God within him, that's what he felt this entire world is made of. His body, mind, speech and actions were effortlessly harmonized with his soul's simplicity. And again and again we'll come to this moment where it is consciousness that creates all our actions, our thoughts. Um, from our perspective, it takes effort. It takes effort to hold our anger when we want to be angry. It takes effort not to say that word of, you know, a little bit of criticism or sarcasm when, you know, it's like, okay, I shouldn't say it because it's not right. It takes effort from us not to react, not to get triggered and not to judge people. And so we think that I have to keep making that effort all the time and it has to be hard. But that is where the practice of meditation again and again is the key. Because in meditation, we're lifting our consciousness to the point where then these things become effortless because they become a reflection of that consciousness rather than we have to you know, make this effort to achieve a state of consciousness after a lot of you know, outward holding and control and struggle. Of course, there is also need for that. 
but let's try our best at least to lift ourselves where as Yogananda says here, all of his actions, his body, his speech, his mind were effortlessly harmonized to his soul's simplicity. He says then, my master told me so. These were the words Master Mahashaya always said. Shrinking from personal assertion, the saint ended any sage counsel with this invariable tribute. So deep was his identity with Sri Ramakrishna that Master Mahashaya no longer considered his thoughts as his own. Isn't that just beautiful? And that's the power of attunement to your Guru. And that is why the necessity of a Guru is so vital on the spiritual path. Not because somebody is going to tell you and you are subject to somebody else's will. It's because when I attune to a self-realized master, then his thoughts become my thoughts. His words become my words. His inspiration becomes mine. And because I'm yet to understand and experience the infinite nature of God, I first start relating to the seemingly finite you know, reality of the Guru, who in fact behind that form is the infinite nature of God. And so I use his power, his consciousness, his thoughts, and they flow through me until we come to a point where you just don't know. Where's my Guru? Where am I? What are his words? What are my words? I remember Swamiji at the end of his life saying, sharing with so many of us, I don't know where Swami Kriyananda ends and Yogananda begins. I mean, that's the state that many of us are trying to achieve. How can we become an ever-perfect expression of our Guru's consciousness? Swami Kriyananda said, I never do anything or I never write or compose or create or come up with a new project until I feel it's coming, it's coming directly from my Guru's consciousness, it's coming from Him and it has His blessings on it. And this is something that many of us are striving for. You know, how can I attune my will to my Guru's will? How can I, you know, my actions be his actions? And this is something that, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to train ourselves to aspire because, again, the Guru has no ego. So that's the kind of um, consciousness we, are const we want constantly to manifest in whatever we do. Yogananda relates here a little story now. He says, Once I was walking alone near Havra station, as a railway station, and, I said, I, and he says, I stood for a moment by a temple, silently criticizing a small group of men with drum and cymbals who were violently reciting a chant. How undevotionally they used the Lord's divine name in mechanical repetition, I reflected. My gaze was astonished suddenly by the rapid approach of Master Mahashaya. So suddenly out of nowhere, as young Mukunda was having these thoughts, Master Mahashaya approaches him and he says to her, Sir, how come you are here? And immediately 
he says, Master Mahashaya, to him, Isn't it true, little sir, that the beloved's name sounds sweet from all lips, ignorant or wise? He passed his arm around me affectionately, and I found myself carried on his magic carpet to the merciful presence. I mean, just amazing. Just catching that thought immediately and not allowing it to become, you know, a habitual reality. And this is what happens to us. We don't want to judge people. We don't want to criticize them. We don't want to think unkindly about anybody. It's not an actual conscious, I want to just be that way. But we've created such a habit of these little moments Look how they wear that dress. Look how they talk like that. Look how they go there. Whatever it is. And little by little by little, it becomes so ingrained in us that we can't stop ourselves anymore. And here the divine in the form of Master Masha immediately comes and cuts that thought. Redirects it. Redirects it, uplifts it and says, Isn't it true that God's name is always sweet and beautiful, no matter whose lips they are coming from? And then, yeah, that's true, isn't it? I mean, and the fact that it didn't come as a, even a reprimand. No. You know, the way he chose to redirect Mukunda's thoughts were like, so, you know, sweet, so kind. You know, he wasn't even telling him, how you dare to think that way? Don't you think that's not the right way to think about this? You know, just very gently, one sentence. So it doesn't sound like beautiful in everyone's mouths and words. I mean, just fantastic. This is something that some of us <laughs> <laughs> should learn how to do this. I mean, it's wonderful. Then he says to young Mukunda, would you like to go see some bioscopes? So bioscopes here means movies, motion pictures. Um, and so they both start moving towards an auditorium to go see some uh, presentation. And of course, they are in this presentation and there's a professor there talking and there's a slideshow running and, you know, that whole process is happening. And uh, young Mukunda is quite bored, but he doesn't want to say anything. He believes Master Mahashaya must be enjoying himself. So he's just, you know, kind of fighting his own thoughts in his mind. And of course, Master Mahasha as always catches that thought and says to him, I see, little sir, that you don't like this bioscope. I have mentioned it to Divine Mother. She is in full sympathy with us both. She tells me that the electric lights will now go out and won't be relit until we have a chance to leave the room. As his whisper ended, the hall was plunged into darkness. Again, just look at that relationship that Master Mahashaya has. Oh, I see this is, oh, don't worry. I have spoken to the Divine Mother and she's in full sa The conversation really, the, it never ends for them. They're never not referring back their thoughts, ideas, their actions. They're just constantly offering it back. Any thought that comes, oh, I'm not really enjoying this. Divine Mother, I'm not really enjoying this. What do you think? Should I be here? Should I not? What are your thoughts on this subject? And they're like, oh, in this case, she's in full sympathy and she's going to create the circumstance that will allow us, you know, to be able to make our escape. 
And so all of us find ourselves in situations where we are bored, where we're unhappy, where we don't like it, where we're going through a lot of trouble. And sometimes that's needed. Our own soul needs that experience. But if the, what the real experience the soul is looking for is that connection with the divine, that we reestablish that original connection with the divine. And once that happens, then the soul doesn't have to experience all these things. Then it doesn't necessarily have to go through the pain, the suffering, the disappointment, the boredom. And so work on that relationship and you will see how miraculously you will be able to get out of situations and circumstances that otherwise without that relationship, you would have had to go through just to learn that particular lesson. I mean, and they added, I mean, he didn't even have had the the kind of you know the attitude or the not the this, the impulse to reject or to refuse or to push aside what divine mother were was sending them in this case this guy that yogananda said he was so spellbound by his own monologue you know all these little episodes that that try to, as Yogananda say, demon his joy, you know, like saying all these little things that were coming, you know, in between our experiences. Yogananda's first impulse was complaining, wanted to push aside and, you know, having those thoughts. But Master Mahashaya didn't even, you know, react it outwardly. I mean, nothing like, okay, this is what Divine Mother is sending. Let's see what she has in mind. I mean, so embracing of what God was sending them. There's this little passage that I, paragraph that I wanted to read, but kind of skipped. So let's just come to that before we continue. On their way to see this bioscope to this auditorium, um, they sit by a pond on a bench and Master Mahashaya says, let's just sit here for a few minutes. And then he says, my master, which he's referring to Ramakrishna Paramhans, always asked me to meditate whenever I saw an expanse of water. So they were meditating next to a pond. Here, its placidity reminds us of the vast calmness of God. As all things can be reflected in water, so the whole universe is mirrored in the lake of the cosmic mind. So my Gurudev often said. And what Narayani is referring to right now is that, that perfect stillness of Master Mahashaya's mind where no ripples were affecting or distorting that reflection of Divine Mother. As she was saying, our, in, our immediate reaction is push, reject, complain, and that creates these ripples, that creates these waves, that distorts the divine plan and we're unable to see reflected in that, in our own cosmic mind, God's intention. And that stillness that comes from meditation begins to help us see that master plan more clearly. Finally, as they exit this auditorium, Master Mahashaya says, Little sir, you were disappointed in that bioscope, but I think you will like a different one. As he says that, he gently 
taps or slaps here it says uh, Yogananda's chest over the heart right here and now Yogananda explains a little experience he has when that happens it's a little hard to grasp our minds around so let's see if we're able to get this a transforming silence ensued so the moment he was tapped on the heart instantly a transforming silence endued ensued sorry the divine hand by some strange miracle stifled the earthly bustle so suddenly everything went silent things were happening all around him he could see everything happening but there was no sound at all the pedestrians as well as the passing trolley cars the automobiles the bullock carts the hackney carriages were all in noiseless transit as though possessing an omnipresent eye i beheld the scenes that were behind me and to each side as easily as i saw those in front so suddenly yogananda was able to perceive and see absolutely everything as if he was had eyes everywhere the whole spectacle of activity in that small section of calcutta passed before me without a sound and like a glow of fire dimly seen beneath a thin coat of ashes a mellow luminescence permeated the panoramic view so he was seeing all things all people having this gentle glow behind it a light emanating from everything my own body seemed nothing more than one of the many shadows though it was motionless while the others flitted mutely through to and fro so he could see his own self as just another participant in this scene it wasn't identified as oh this is me and those are them he just felt like his own body was part of that same cosmic motion picture he was seeing in that moment several boys friends of mine approached and passed on though they had looked directly at me it was without recognition in that moment he just became practically invisible or imperceptible to the people around him <clears throat> i drank deep from some blissful fount suddenly this great bliss began to uh, erupt within him my chest received another soft blow from master mahashaya and <laughs> the pandemonium of the world burst upon my unwilling ears so just that momentary experience master mahashaya gave him and he says to him little sir i see you found the second bioscope to your liking i started to drop in gratitude on the ground before him you can't do that to me now he said you know god is in your temple also i won't let divine mother touch my feet through your hands how beautiful now of course we're missing the whole point where master mahashaya was able to give young mukunda such an experience and again we come back to that power of the saints 
is they're so much more. They're not teachings. They're not principles. They're not the do's and don'ts. They are God's power. And those of us who get in attunement with them can receive that power. And Master Mahashaya was able to give Yogananda that experience. Not because Master Mahashaya had the power. He could go around and give that experience to everyone if he wanted. But it was Mukunda's ability to receive that experience, really, that was key here. Not Master Mahashaya's power. Yet, Master Mahashaya also knew that he was not Yogananda's guru. And so, he just gave him a taste. Later on, we see Yogananda receiving a similar experience, a much vaster experience from his own guru. That's so sweet. You can also see in this paragraph, Master Mahashaya's, I mean, not ability, but how he was able to see God so perfectly in each one of us, in each human being. And that gave him the power to, there was no separation in his eyes of, this is divine, this is not, this has more whatever. So that's something that we want to um, develop within ourselves. We have created or we are still struggling with the delusion that this thing is better than the other. This person is more self-realized than this other person. These, you know, what we create these little separations and distinctions of what's godly and what's not, but a saint perceives and sees everything as a perfect reflection of the divine. So everything that comes to him, everyone that comes to him is just is an approach, is a manifestation of that divine. Therefore, there is nothing to complain, nothing to reject, nothing or no one to push aside. I mean, just, just imagine that kind of consciousness where, where, where you don't need to fight or protect or defend, you know, about absolutely anything. I mean, what a wonderful... <laughs> state of consciousness that must be and finally to close this chapter and our reading for today he says then if anyone observed the unpretentious master and myself as we walked away from the crowded pavement the onlooker surely suspected us of intoxication so sweetly he says, so if everybody, anybody saw both of us, he'd probably think we were drunk. And they were drunk, but they were drunk with bliss. And that experience each one of us is seeking. And each one of us will find. We just have to increase, as we see here, our relationship to the divine and our ardent fervor for the divine. It won't come otherwise. There won't be enough power in the desire to draw God if there are so many other desires competing, which there is. So we have to lift that desire for God well above everything else. We don't have to get rid of these desires, but if we lift our love for God above them all, give it more power, then 
it'll attract that blessing and then those little desires begin to dissolve on their own and that is the power of both the guru of your spiritual practice of your meditation and it's not in the mind it's in the heart that we will experience that and in a sense uh, with the end of this chapter we can also see uh, the end of Yogananda's search because the next chapter he meets his guru Sri Yudheshwar and we'll get into that one thing that I felt in this chapter that really moved me when Mukunda came to visit Master Mahashaya and that was the house where his mother passed he had an association with that house of grief, uh, sadness, pain, loss, and, and that's, that's what represented those feelings, uh, were what represented the most whenever he was in that house. Now suddenly, in the same setting that gave him then sorrow, pain, you know, a big sense of loss, now God replaced that feeling by now bringing into that house a saint that will give him the experience of God as Divine Mother. I mean, to me, this thought really brought me almost to tears. How sometimes we go through experiences, we need to go through certain settings and, and they remain in our mind as a very painful memory with a person, with a situation and then God brings us back to the same person or the same situation and just changes the scenery, changes the circumstances so that pain can be replaced by an experience of bliss and joy and, and remove from your mind, from your heart, that feeling and um, something to meditate about and to think and be grateful because God has not yet finished with those areas of our lives where we are still holding some, you know, regrets or we have been triggered or there is still a, a pain that has not been fully healed, I will say let's just wait and see what he, he has in store for us because um, it, it promises to be grandiose for us. Well everyone, thank you so much for joining us.